It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Inaugural edition in 2020 of the show before the show from MILB.com. All kinds of things are new. It's a new decade. Uh, it is a new, an entirely new, not just a new conference room, an entirely new office building for Sam Dykstra and the rest of the MILB.com staff in New York City. Uh, my name is Tyler Ron. I'm not there, but Sam is. Hi, Sam. Hi, Tyler. Happy New Year to you. Yeah, you Happy too. New Year to everybody out there in the, the podcast verse. Um, yes, I am coming to you from the Frank Robinson conference room right now. No at, more uh, of like the conference room V7. We don't have any more of that. We're done with it. No, no more of that. Uh, all the conference rooms here at Major League Baseball headquarters are named after players. So there are some really cool ones. Carl Yastrzemski. Uh, I sit near the Pee Wee Reese uh, conference room right next to the Bill Mazeroski uh, conference room. So that's that's a really cool way of going about it. Um, if I sound different this week, it's not because of anything that's happening here at the new office. It's because in the move, I was an idiot and forgot to bring my microphone. So <laughs> forgive me for that. Uh, this is not the fault of anybody but my own. But uh, yeah, no, it's really cool. I'm looking out to my left right now. We've got Radio City Music Halls right across the street. Uh, it's going to be a different world coming to work here in Midtown as opposed to Chelsea. But um, yeah, it's, it's going to be an exciting time here to to be all together uh, with the entire Major League Baseball staff and, and not just separated between Chelsea and the commissioner's office. We're all in one group. So uh, exciting times ahead for all of us here. Well, I am pumped for you, and uh, at some point I'll get out there and see it. I was in New York for uh, over Christmas, but that was during the break when you guys were away from the office. They were moving the office and doing all that, so I didn't get a chance. I walked by the outside of the building, and it seems cool, but uh, one, of these, yeah. one of these months I'm sure I'll make a make a stop in. I have to go through yeah, it. Yeah, for anybody who figured it out. For anybody who's ever watched Mad Men, this is the Time Life building, which also, if you just ah. know what time is, uh, they used to make – all of that here so that's it's historic in that way um but it's really special for anybody who's watched mad men and realized that uh sterling cooper draper price moved in here i think in season four wow that's very cool i would i would tout that regularly if i was there i'm 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 sure it will come up in conversation over manhattan's at some point yeah i would imagine um so hey thanks for joining us on the first episode of 2020 as we dive into this week's uh the show before the show you can get in touch with us podcast at milb.com sam's on twitter at sam dykstra milb i am at tyler mon and uh we are excited to get rolling you can uh hit us with your questions your thoughts your comments your concerns and um and we thank you for joining us again. Give us a rating and a review and a subscription wherever you found us. And it's the beginning of the show, which means we want to tell you that just announced 
uh, toward the end of last year. More than 20 new minor league baseball teams are going to join the Copa de la Diversión Chase in 2020. The Hispanic Fan Engagement Initiative, fresh off its second full season, celebrates the cultural contributions of Hispanic communities across over 90 minor league cities. Through culturally significant on-field identities, in-stadium accommodations and entertainment options, and community impact, Copa de la Diversión celebrates the Hispanic community whose love for the game of baseball has driven the game forward. Visit MILB.com slash fans slash Copa or follow my minor league baseball on social media at milb to find out more about each identity and the initiative and uh with that we're going to kick things off with three strikes for this week's episode of the show and uh dive in it's a new year resolutions out fast and furious most people eh, we're like a week in you probably already screwed yours up but sam's got some for american league and national league farm systems a series that has begun on the site sam roll it down for us what does that even mean roll it down Roll it down, yeah. Roll well, down this is... the barrel. Roll, roll out the barrel. <laughs> Tell us about it. Yeah, it just reminds me of those. You know, people have Twitter threads, and people will just say "unroll," and there's like some app that'll just unroll a Twitter thread. Oh, uh, this is that. essentially what that is. I'm not going to write up anything about this. This is just for conversation pieces. We could go through all 30 systems and, and find a resolution for every team. Um, but just to pick one team from the AL and one team from the NL. Uh, starting the AL, I think the Baltimore Orioles this year, this needs to be the year they take the next step. Um, obviously, they've been undergoing a rebuild for a couple of years now, but getting Adley Rutschman with the number one overall pick last year was a signal of, okay, we've got our franchise cornerstone. We've got somebody we can build around, hopefully for you know the next decade at least. Um, but not just that. He, he can be the kind of gem of the farm system. Obviously, there are other good pieces here. Grayson Rodriguez had a really special season last year. D.L. Hall still looks good. Uh, Ryan Mountcastle was the IL MVP. Some, still some questions about where he's going to fit defensively. But, hey, he's good to have around. He's somebody you can build around. Austin Hayes had some injury struggles but really came on at the end of 2019. All right, great. All those pieces are in place. But if this is really going to be a rebuild and Mike Elias coming from the Astros, uh, you know, they are what everybody is trying to be, at least when it comes to franchise building, getting your Correas, your Altuves, your Bregmans, your Springers all in place uh, so that you can go get a Justin Verlander, go trade for a Garrett Cole, before he hits free agency. Um, the Orioles aren't there yet, so they need to develop these guys that they have now. And yeah, they're going to have another good draft pick this year. They pick number two, and the Tigers are first at number one. Um, but they really need to take that next step. They really need to develop what they have here. And if I'm going to make a resolution for them, it's going to be have another Grayson Rodriguez. You know, Grayson Rodriguez was a first-round pick in 2018. He was the 11th overall pick, but now he's the number 44 overall prospect. Really saw some gains. Okay, we need to do that with some other guys. Maybe a Gunnar Henderson. Maybe Dean Kramer. You know, he he's not a young player by any means, but hopefully you see him turn into a solid rotation piece at the major league level this year. Uh, they need to start building out this year. They can't just kick the can down the road again and try again in, in 2021. Uh, I really want to see them take that next jump this year. Uh, for the NL side, I'm actually going to say for like where the Orioles are, where I envision them being in the next 12 months is where the Padres are now. And what I want the Padres to do is get aggressive with the guys they have, um, really start pushing them to the major leagues. Uh, I think it's potential you know, it, we could potentially see Mackenzie Gore and Luis Patino up in the majors at some point in 2020, hopefully by the second half. 
uh, or early second half, if not before then. But you look at the team as it's currently constituted, there's a reason why they signed Manny Machado and Eric Cosmer to big deals. They envisioned being contenders going into this year. Yeah, they traded for Jerks and Profar. They traded for Tommy Pham. Uh, they believe in this roster and you know who they have and what they've added. Are they going to catch the Dodgers this year? Probably not. Um, but – are they going to go for a second wild card at a time when, you know, the Rockies are down? No offense, Tyler. Uh, but some other I'm teams well in that aware. division, this, yeah, this is the time for the Padres to pounce. And I, and I, you know, we saw that them do this last year. They allowed Chris Paddock to start the year in the major leagues. They allowed Fernando Tatis Jr. to start the year in the major leagues. I'm not saying they should do that this year with Gore or Trammell or Patino or anybody like that, but Stay aggressive with these guys. Keep pushing them. Try to make something of this year. Don't just say, hey, this was another building year and waste another year of Hosmer and Machado's contracts uh, and another year of control for Fernando Tatis and for Chris Paddock. You know, try to make this the year. That's what I want the Padres to do. I, w- I want to see them get aggressive w- with who they have and really build a special roster in San Diego because this is what they've been building for. Now the moment has arrived. Take advantage when it's here. And uh, all of the uh, stories coming up to the site, you can follow along for your division, uh, all the things going on in your league. If your team is also down, then you can just mull over your poor fortunes, as some of us will have to do. (laughs) Um, Strike two this week, the Chicago White Sox made some big news uh, just after the turn of the calendar year, and they have inked their top prospect, Luis Robert, the outfielder, to a six-year $50 million contract, which includes club options through 2026 and 2027 uh, that could bring the deal's total value to $88 million. Team announced that on Thursday. Uh, Luis Robert, it looks like, is going to get a shot to uh, bust out of camp with the Chicago club uh, from spring training this year, but this continues a trend of trying to lock these guys up with long-term deals before they are even established major league regulars in which big league teams feel like they're getting a deal uh, and there's a lot of security in this for prospects. Sam, your reaction to this deal with Luis Robert? I was honestly surprised that it happened, not in a bad way because, you know, he, like, listen, somebody offers you a ton of money. It's really difficult to turn down, especially before you've taken uh, a, you know, one major league at bat. But Luis Robert wasn't somebody like some of these other players we're talking about, like a Ronald Acuna who signed a deal because he had a very small signing bonus, comparatively speaking. Luis Robert signed for $26 million coming out of Cuba. So I thought, okay, maybe that'll kick the can down the road in terms of signing something. Maybe he'll be willing to play the arbitration game and get to a free agent deal sooner. Uh, That's not what ended up happening. And again, $50 million, really difficult to turn down over six years. That includes a couple of options as well. Uh, 12 and a half, or $20 million options, excuse me, in both 2026 and 2027. Uh, so those are team options. The White Sox can just pick them up, or they can uh, buy him out for $2 million. Uh, so I was a little surprised that he took it because, you know, it, for what we may see Mookie Betts get in his final year of arbitration is going to be much bigger than the $15 million Luis Robert has now signed for in what would be his final year of arbitration. Um, but – you know, this starts him out on the opening day roster. Tyler said, you know, it, it puts him on the radar to potentially do that. Service time is no longer a thing. I think this basically solidifies his place in Chicago's opening day roster. He will be their opening day center fielder. And for good reason, uh, you know, we've talked about him a bunch. He was our 
uh, minor league offensive player of the year for the Milbies this year. Guy had a 30-30 year. There were only two minor league players who did that, the other one being Kyle Tucker. He had 32 homers, 36 stolen bases. I know there are some people who are a little worried about his strikeouts and how he can get a little swing happy, especially with breaking stuff. I get all that, um, but the guy is toolsy as heck. Uh, he can run, he can throw, he can field his position very well. Uh, he can hit for power. The White Sox have made a lot of moves this offseason, which have been very exciting uh, at a time when the AL Central is a lot more wide open. You know, the Twins were very good last year. The Indians, we thought would be the best team in that division. We were wrong, but they are still very good. If, as long as they keep on to Francisco Lindor, they will continue to at least be in the discussion for that. Uh, but looking at what the White Sox have done, they kept Jose Abreu. Uh, Yohan Mankata is coming off a good year. Eloy Jimenez is a year older and with a year more experience. They acquired Nomar Mazzara. Lucas Giolito was really good last year. They've added Dallas Keuchel. They've added Yasmani Grandal uh, to a, a, a time when James McCann was actually a really good catcher last year. That's an incredibly deep position now. The White Sox are going for it and making sure that Luis Robert is your starting center fielder on opening day. It only makes them a better team. There was some talk at the winter meetings of, hey, whenever the White Sox do add Robert, he could be their biggest acquisition. And that, like I, you know, I just mentioned a bunch of guys they did acquire. Grandal, one of the best catchers in baseball. Robert could be a bigger acquisition than that. Getting the most out of him at the major league level is only going to be good for Chicago. Um, you know, he gave up a lot of bargaining power and, a, and a, uh, you know, a little bit of what could have been, you know, good finances on the back end of that, uh, of, you know, after he went through his pre-arb years and entered arbitration. But, uh, you know, getting Luis Roberts to the major leagues as quickly as possible is the best thing for all parties here. I'm really excited to see what he can do in his rookie year, a full rookie year over 162 games, health willing. Um, and, and this is one step closer to that. So it was exciting news from that standpoint. Uh, good for Robert for getting paid, uh, but also good for the White Sox to locking in a player for this long and, and making sure he's there on day one. It is a real fun time to be a White Sox fan, and uh, that leads us into our final topic for three strikes on this week's episode of the show. AL East rookies uh, already in the spotlight for our 2020 prospect projections, which Sam has up on the site right now. This is an annual series that we do uh, based on the steamer 600 projections uh from fan graphs on what prospects could potentially do in a full major league season this year sam run us down the al east yeah so i'll touch on a couple names here real quick but just to set up what steamer 600 is steamer 600 you can find it on fan graphs you can play along with it yourself this is basically me organizing it for you for prospects i only include in the tables guys who either finished 2019 at double a or had some experience at double a are on the 40-man roster or are top 100 prospects. Sometimes that leads to some awkwardness. I, I put in Bryson Stott, for instance, into the Phillies graph today, and he had a really bad projection because he came off a really short sample there and, and at the lower levels in the Phillies system. Um, but I do that because we usually get tweeted at a bunch for any top 100 prospect. When is he making the majors? Why isn't he there now? And this is just having that on paper is that Guys who just started their careers or are at the lower levels would be really bad major leaguers. There's a reason why there's a process here of them constantly moving up and facing tougher competition. They need that. Um, so Steamer 600, it projects everybody. Everybody gets equal playing time 
for the most part. If you are a position player, you get 600 plate appearances. If you're a catcher, you get 450. If you're a starting pitcher, you get 200 innings. If you're a reliever, you get 65 innings. Uh, I like this system because it puts everybody on a relatively equal playing field. Uh, trying to figure out playing time and all that is when things can get sticky. If I can tell you how well uh, Bobby Dahlbeck for the Red Sox is going to do over 600 plate appearances, that's much easier to compare him to Michael Chavis, who you know is a first baseman in that system. Uh, it's much easier to compare that way than just saying like, oh, well, Chavis will probably you know, 75% of the plate appearances and Dahlbeck will get 25%. That's difficult to project and difficult to uh, compare, at least for our purposes. So everybody on the same playing field. The one I want to point out from the AL East here is Brendan McKay. Uh, anybody who knows him back from his draft days coming out of Louisville, he is a two-way player in the Rays system. Has long been thought of as a really good two-way player, uh, can hit for average and for power normally uh has a really good arsenal on the mound was one of the most dominant minor league pitchers last year and i think that's what sets him apart and the point of this article is to show you that right now he's probably the tampa bay rays fourth best starting option between behind blake snell charlie morton and tyler glass now three really good starting pitchers uh you know there's going to be some discussion going into 2020 about how the new roster rules are going to affect players and that it, they're expanding to 26 men. Uh, there's going to be a cap on pitchers. That cap hasn't been set yet. A lot of people think it's going to be 13. But if you have a two-way player, uh, they don't have to count towards the pitchers. They can have their own designation. So Brendan McKay could have a little bit more value if he's designated as a two-way player because he's not taking up a pitching spot on Daisy's hitting. That being said, the projections right now show he is a significantly better pitcher than he would be a major league hitter. Kevin Cash touched on this a little bit at the winter meetings when he said, I think we owe it to him to be a hitter, allow him to get those opportunities. And it made it sound like they were going to kick him back to Durham. With these projections, I don't think they should do that. The Rays right now, it's going to be a really close AL East. We know that. The Yankees just kicked it into overdrive, getting Garrett Cole. The Rays are going after their third straight 90-win season. They don't want to be going back to the wild card. Have your best players in the majors. McKay, with a 3.2 war projection over the year, that would be the second best rookie pitcher in baseball behind Mitch Keller. That's really good. They need to get a full season out of him. Don't just send him to Durham to work on hitting. I know it would be a luxury to have him as a two-way player. Uh, he has not really proven it to me. Steamer didn't even give him a hitting projection on which to base it, anything, so I can't really speak to that. Um, but we're talking about a guy who had a 1.10 ERA in the minors last year, over 73 and two-thirds innings. This is no small sample. And had just a 629 OPS. Uh, yeah, it would be great to have him hit. It would be almost great to have him in the National League so he could do both, uh, even when he's a starting pitcher. But – the projections, the way they look right now, I think you have to let McKay start on the mound. Uh, looking at some other systems here real quick, uh, I mentioned Austin Hayes before in the Orioles system. The projections show that he should be uh, starting either center fielder or right fielder. The, the Baltimore Orioles can figure that out on opening day. He should be in that discussion. Uh, for the Red Sox, I mentioned Bobby Dahlbeck before. Uh, the bat isn't quite there enough for if he is going to become first baseman for the Red Sox, and that's where they have the opening right now. Rafael Devers has third base covered. They need help at first base. 
Dahlbeck right now would be a 95 WRC plus. That's a little bit below average. It's not what you want out of your first baseman. He's probably going to need a little bit more time to cook at Triple uh, A Pawtucket. Uh, for the Yankees, Davey Garcia is almost there as a starting pitcher for the Yankees. I put him under the most ready category, um, but I think he also needs a little bit more time there. That 1.3 WAR projection for Davey Garcia would be fifth best among Yankee starters right now. Uh, but with other guys in the mix, and maybe they make another acquisition, but Jay Hatt, Michael King, Nick Nelson, Jordan Montgomery, um, at least these guys don't have maybe the ceiling of Garcia, but you want Garcia getting as close to his ceiling as you can before you call him up. Uh, and for the Toronto Blue Jays, kind of a similar setup there. Nate Pearson right now, if he were to play a major league season, full major league season, would be worth 1.7 war. Not bad. Uh by any means and at a time when the Blue Jays have added some pitching this offseason, but it is by far not their strength. Pearson could be one of the best starting pitchers they have in camp, but given his ceiling, you don't want him coming up and pitching to a 4.9 ERA, which is what he's projected to have right now. You want him getting more AAA experience, so by the time he's coming up, he's ready to throw uh, an ERA in the high threes or even mid threes uh, because that's what he's capable of if everything clicks with him. So uh, pour over this. We're going to be doing the next five divisions over the next five weeks. They'll be coming out every Tuesday. Uh, so if we haven't gotten to your favorite team or your favorite division yet, don't worry. They're in the pipeline. This will carry us all the way through to mid-February. Uh, and that is three strikes on this week's episode of the show before the show coming up the atlanta organization is where we find our first guest of 2020 as the 13th ranked prospect there tucker davidson joins the show to talk about his offseason and what lies ahead in the new year that's next Our first guest of a new decade is the 13th ranked prospect in the Atlanta organization, Tucker Davidson, who joins us from Miami, Florida, left-handed pitcher, uh, where he is taking part in the rookie career development program, uh, which we'll talk about. But Tucker, the pressure of being the first guest of a decade, you have to lead. Everything starts with you, man. This is 10 years of potential guests. You have to start it on the right foot. Is that? And there, there's no pressure in that. You're going to put all that pressure on me right now. <laughs> this has to be the Season greatest interview <laughs> any of us have ever done. I just want you to know. Um, <laughs> let's, okay. let's talk about you've been in Miami uh, only since yesterday. We were talking a, a minute ago. You got there yesterday from Dallas and uh, take a part in the rookie career development program. For those who are unaware, explain uh, the rookie career development program to us. It's put together through the MLBPA and the MLB and they bring in bunch of the guys kind of on the cusp of becoming big leaguers and they try to help our transition from the minor leagues to the big leagues to go as smoothly as possible by giving us the insights of what changes and how the MLBPA benefits you and a bunch of different things. And it's been a great experience so far. So the first day, I mean, you get in yesterday, your first day today, what have the activities been like for you? How does this whole thing start? Last night we got in, I got in about 2.30. We didn't have anything until about 6. And we had dinner, had some, what did we have last night? Some chicken, beef, and shrimp. I was all Ooh. for it. What would you choose? Just dropped my, I just dropped my phone. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so we hung out last night and then had a couple speakers. And then today it's been filled of lots of speakers and we've been doing different games throughout like we have iPads kind of help us like interact and they'll put up 
questions and we have to answer them how we think what is the correct answer and it's kind of been interacting with us just giving us a lot of insight of just how things have changed from the 80s to now and just kind of like what the social media and how to handle the media and type of that nature and when you found out you got got invited to this what were you most looking forward to about it like what was kind of on your list that you were hoping to learn about or ask a question about like some what were you most looking forward to about this experience in miami obviously coming to miami first off in the winter it sounds awesome (laughs) but i think i think just getting the opportunity to learn from people that have been there done that and they have a lot of insight of being able to help you make that transition to the big leagues because it's not an easy one at all and i think giving guys the more information for them to successfully go into their debut and throughout their big league career is something so huge. And it could be as little as where to sit on the bus, like we were talking today or just approaching and finding a mentor, somebody that can like help you throughout your career. And you could be lifelong friends or it might just be somebody saying like, Hey, don't do that. And just learning because your head's going to be spinning whenever you get called up. And I think it's just the transition of helping each other. And who amongst the other guys who are there with you in terms of prospects? I mean, the Braves group is particularly loaded. You've got yourself, Christian Pache, Alex Jackson, Jeremy Walker, some of the other top prospects in the game are there and Joe Adele, Mackenzie Gore, what have you. Uh, When you found out the group that was going, who were you most looking forward to seeing yourself? Honestly, I just want to catch up with a couple guys that have, played in double a against kind of got to play with taylor trammell and it was funny he ended up getting traded to the padres and was in double a in amarillo which is my hometown so we kind of got to bond over that a little bit and then saw joe adele um kenzie gore's been here jake rogers is actually from amarillo as well and so we got to catch up and we were like who would have thought that two kids from amarillo texas would be at this event and it's been an awesome experience the uh, this, this stage of the year, the calendar year of the run up to spring training, all that kind of stuff, um, it's sort of weird because I think once you get through New Year's, you're probably raring to go. I mean, you're still got, you know, six weeks or so until you're into full on organized team stuff with pitchers and catchers reporting to get to do something that's baseball related right now. Does that sort of scratch that itch at this time of the season where it's like, all right, it's New Year's. Let's get this thing underway. January usually goes by either really slowly or really fast, kind of depending on what you're doing. If you're at home just kind of waiting for spring training, it's going to go by slow and you're going to be counting your days. But if you're busy doing stuff, it goes by quick. And I'm ready to go. And I think I usually get about a month, two months off, and I get the itch of wanting to start throwing again, wanting to start facing hitters. And I go up to driveline this weekend, so – I'm excited for that. So I think my January is going to go by very quickly. Okay, that is something that we definitely want to touch on then. So you're headed to Driveline, which over the last few years has become uh, kind of the hallmark of an exciting offseason. Tell us about how you got into There's sort of a selection process now, correct? It's not. It, I think it used to be more when guys were, were just kind of hearing about Driveline, uh, you could sort of get in contact and go up there. Now it's sort of it's a little bit more exclusive where they, I would imagine, have been so inundated in recent years with players who want to go there, they kind of pick and choose who gets to go right so how did you get involved with with going up to driveline i i found it on twitter back in 2015 oh wow i don't know how i stumbled i don't know how i stumbled upon it but it was like the first kind of when weighted balls started becoming a thing and i was at a junior college in midland texas and through 
88 to 90 miles an hour. I was like, I want to play professional baseball, but this is not going to work. So I ended up buying the balls myself and kind of teaching myself the drills. Well, fast forward for yeah, four or five years now, um, I went right after the season, kind of did the biomechanic stuff, kind of got to see how I move mechanically, what I need to work on, what I need, what I do well and everything. And I'm going back up this weekend and going to redo the biomechanical, see how much mobility is improved and just kind of things I can continue to work on and kind of find my strengths and weaknesses. They help identify that a lot. And then going to try to add a little cutter or slider mix this year kind of see if that would help and we're going to work on that up there mm. and when you think about you know where we are in the offseason now as tyler mentioned and as you've mentioned january can be kind of a weird time but the last 12 months have been really interesting for you we haven't mentioned what happened to you in 2019 you had a 215 era between mississippi and gwinnett you were an all-star both for the mid-season and end of season in the southern league uh big pop-up season for you you get added to the 40-man when you compare where you are now, not only in the Braves organization, but just as a pitcher in general, uh, how do you compare yourself now to where you were last January? Last January, kind of my goal, I felt in 2018, I got away from my aggressive mindset where it was, here's my fastball, here's my breaking ball, whatever I would be throwing and being aggressive with it and saying, you can't hit this. And I really switched my mindset last year. was like, I'm going to be aggressive. I'm going to try to get strike one every time. And I definitely think that just that general mindset of being aggressive helped me throughout the entire year and ultimately got me protected on the 40 man, which is an incredible honor. And now this mindset this year has kind of been, what can I do to put myself in this situation to help the Braves win a world series? It really switched to how can I, how can I help the team win is generally my biggest concern right now yeah i was going to ask about how do things kind of change when you do get added to the 40 man we talked to some guys about it you know there's union stuff involved now and there's that aspect of it but also just being this much closer you're just one simple transaction away you're going to be in big league camp all that what for you is the biggest change now being you know on that 40 man major league roster I went to, I was a non-roster invitee last year to big league camp and threw well and kind of got my foot in the door, just kind of got to meet the meet Snit and all the other coaches and kind of get the feel of being around everybody. And this year it's kind of, my goal has been, I want to break with the team. And that's just my mindset of I'm going to go in there and I'm going to try to be one of the best 26 men and walk out of there and try to help us win all year. And I think that's kind of where the mindset changed of what, how do I help this team? Is it being supportive in the bullpen or is it starting every fifth day? Just kind of what can I do? And I have to put myself and put my body to be ready to be able to fulfill and be in the best position to help the team win. Tucker, let's go back and talk about your uh, start in pro ball coming out of the JUCO ranks. You drafted in the 19th round in 2016 um, and out of Midland Junior College, like you said. To go from junior college to pro ball, there's obviously so many things that go into the decision-making process of do you try to go to a four-year school, do you go into the draft, do you, and you're in that stretch of the draft where I feel like the decision is probably even tougher because you're in those middle rounds, so there's still maybe potentially other options for you, but the signing option is obviously there and is very alluring. 
How'd you go through that process coming out of junior college to decide 19th round, you're going to Atlanta um, and you're going to, you're going to give it a go with, uh, with that being the next step. Well, I was committed to North Carolina state out of Midland and the whole semester, my big thing was, do you want to get drafted? Do you want to play professional baseball or do you want to go to school? And I ultimately came to the decision. I want to play professional baseball. I want to start that journey. And when I got drafted, I was kind of thinking, Oh, it's 19th round, blah, blah, blah. And I talked to my junior college coach, David Coleman. And he said, you told me in March, you wanted to get drafted. You just got drafted. Why, why are you having mixed feelings now? And he's like, you got your foot in the door. This might be your only opportunity. Are you going to take it or are you going to run? And I took it. I ran with it and I fell in love with it. Junior college baseball and pro ball are very similar. Long days, kind of lots of hacks, lots of bullpens, that type of thing. So I loved like the mentality of just pro ball and I fell in love with the idea of it. What is the the thing? I mean, when you first got into pro ball um, and kind of realizing that it had obviously been a lifelong goal and then all of a sudden you're doing it to jump from the the juco rank straight into it what struck you most about the culture of pro ball that you know maybe you weren't expecting or that kind of just gave you that feeling of like man i have made it now actually my big the, the funniest thing is my first day uh first two people i meet are joey wins and kyle moeller and i'm like why are y'all 18 and six, seven? And then <laughs> the first uh, person I got to see throw was Luis Mora, who the first pitch was 102. And I go, what did I get myself into? So that was a big <laughs> culture shock. And then just everybody, the Spanish speaking and just everybody coming from different cultures was a, a different thing, but it was an easy adjustment because we were all there for the same goal of wanting to be a big leaguer or wanting to help our team win or whatever the goal might be. So we all kind of fell into a team and my GCL team went to the playoffs that year. And so we had fun that year and I've been thankful for that GCL team since. And what was the next step in that evolution? Because, you know, it's one thing just to become a, a pro player out of the 19th round and somebody who's climbing up the levels, but not many 19th rounders are sent to this rookie career development program. Not many are added to the 40 man, uh, not many are ranked prospects. So at what point did you feel like, Hey, I'm firmly on the radar now. I'm not just somebody they brought in for a depth arm. I'm firmly a part of this uh, club's future. When I went to Rome in 2017, my big thing was I wanted to make a statement. I wanted to show everybody what I was made of and wanted to put a name for myself. So after that year at Rome, I had a good year, and that's kind of whenever I felt that I wasn't just a 19th round nobody anymore. It was kind of maybe there's something with this kid, and that's when I just got hungry. I wanted to be better. Mm. And I want to jump back a little bit to what you said earlier in terms about going to driveline and adding a slider or a cutter. Um, You know, how do you do that at this place or at at this spot? Because, you know, you've been around so long now, you know, four years in minor league ball, adding a new pitch at a time where you're trying to break through. Obviously, that's to show the Braves you have multiple options. But, uh, you know, how are you going to make that happen? and, And what kind of work goes into adding a pitch at this point in your career? I think it's more of understanding how it would help your arsenal from my big thing for wanting to use it is 
days where the changeup might not be there, or maybe I'm not getting into ratties as well, or I just maybe need something just to change a look from a curveball or whatever the reason might be that day. It was what can make this beneficial. So they're big on analytics up there and they're data driven, which is kind of their motto. And we'll, I have a pitch design and we're going to throw on track them. We're going to throw on rap Soto and it kind of be, what do we want it to look like? What do we think it'll look best like? And how do we start throwing it and incorporating it into your arsenal? So it might be finding, I want, a short, hard pitch, or it might be I want something like a Chris Sale slider where it's going to go clear across the plate. And that just kind of might – that depends on who you are or kind of what you're wanting to do. So it'll be very interesting of kind of what we discover and what we find will fit for me best. Mm. And how much are you taking – that into your game even in season obviously analytics is such a big part of things now and rap soto and like you mentioned watching video and, and trying to tighten things up it's one thing to do that now in the off season but how much are you doing it in season and what's an example of something you've been able to take from video or from analytics and incorporate into your game uh you know during your breakout 2019 season I think the big thing for analytics was more of if something didn't feel right, say in a bullpen or oh, my change just wasn't there last outing, we could pull up the trackman data and go throw on our episode and be like, well, you were two less inches vertically and three more inches horizontally, so your ball was moving more side to side than more straight down. And you're able to kind of take those things and kind of, okay, I need to do this or – look at it and be like, was that a bad pitch or did he put a good swing on it? Or what was the reason behind something? And just like scouting reports and knowing how to pitch to a guy, this guy hits fastballs in 500 against left-handed pitchers versus he hits 190 off of changeups. And it's kind of knowing the little things, just kind of keeping your back pocket of, I know this guy doesn't swings and misses at fastballs up late, or this guy, doesn't like swinging at curveballs early in the count, so I can get ahead with that. Just kind of learning and how to navigate. So whenever you do need that big pitch when there's runner on second and third in the fifth inning, you you need to get that out. You have, okay, I know this guy's going to chase on the curveball in the dirt or the fastball up. So I think that's kind of where I took like a big step was kind of game planning and how like I could take my stuff to the next level. Yeah, and, and speaking of taking things to that next level, uh, we'll, we'll end on this one. Um, now that you are you know, member of the 40-man roster, like we've said, you are just one simple transaction away from the Major League Club, but the Braves are also loaded with upper-level pitching. You're, you're on an echelon now with Ian Anderson, Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson, Kyle Muller, who you mentioned. Uh, a lot of these guys trying to break through at a time when you know the Braves already have Soroka, Fulte, Freed. They just signed Hamels up at the Major League level. When you envision how these next 12 months are going to go, uh, what do you think you need to do to break through and find your spot potentially in the Atlanta rotation here in the upcoming season? I think consistency is the key. And I think you could ask any of the guys in the organization, you can ask any guy across baseball, and they're going to say consistency is the key. Of What made Soroka so good last year was he, he had a sinker all year. And he was able to pound the bottom of the zone and do what he does best. And he was consistent with that, throwing strikes. And I think that might be, are you consistently throwing a breaking ball for a strike? Oh, 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 or are you falling behind every time? And just kind of getting consistent of your game plan of what you want to do well and just being consistent with it. 
Tucker Davidson is the 13th-ranked prospect in the Atlanta organization and uh, is currently in Miami getting set for the 2020 campaign and beyond at the Rookie Career Development Program. And, uh, Tucker, we can't thank you enough for making some time for us, man. And uh, best of luck breaking camp with the big club this year. And we'll uh, we'll be keeping an eye on you and watching. Good luck. Thank you. Appreciate it. That was as good of an interview as we are going to ever start a decade with. I want you to know. It was fantastic. It was great, man. Let's go. (laughs) We continue along from the Frank Robinson conference room with uh, the first appearance from the new Milb uh, headquarters with one Ben Hill. Ben, how are you finding the new surroundings? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I mean, I worked at our previous location, the Chelsea Market, going back to, you know, part-timer in 2005. You know, we moved around. Milb.com offices moved around in that building over the years. But that was the location I was reporting to, 75 Ninth Avenue, uh, since 2005. So it's surreal to get up and go to a different location. And, uh, you know, where we are now is bigger and sleeker and shinier and uh and and i know a lot of people made this analogy um but it did feel like very much monday felt like the first day of school Mm -hmm. you know orientation lining up getting told where to go getting a new id um getting a locker yeah getting a lock we have lockers yeah it really uh wondering who to eat with at lunch and uh you know, Sam and some coworkers were all clustered together, but there didn't seem to be room for. I all, literally for moved all, my chair. For Ben's biz. I said, Ben, would you would do you want this space? I will move things over. He's like, No, no, it's fine. And then he sat over by himself. That is so, true. I'm sure it was very much like high school for Ben. <laughs> uh, I will say it's that's you know Josh Jackson and I are very smug about not having to deal with any like interoffice politics we're also tremendously lonely um no i'm kidding josh is not he's married uh and by the way we have to send out a big virtual hug to to josh and his wife ella who've had an annoying start to 2020 but we'll leave it at that and we and we love them both um yes. let's kick it off with um ben's got a, a resolution for 2020 uh, about MILB.com uh, or MILB teams and the way that they have chosen to uh, embrace a certain facet of the GIF game on social media. I will not say GIF. Um, ben, tell us, tell us about this. Yeah, well, I'm sure you guys have you know, spoken about uh, resolutions and uh, how it applies to, uh, to, to your worlds. And, uh, you know, this overlaps with your world. But for me, you know, dealing with teams, uh, how they promote themselves, Twitter's a big part of that. Uh, how they communicate, how they express their thoughts and feelings, how they jokes. And I think uh, the most overused uh, trope, as it were, at this juncture are office gifts or GIFs. So if um, any front office team members uh, who work for, who do uh, run the Twitter account for a minor league team, uh, any front office members uh, involved in social media, I'm making a humble request and I will put this out on Twitter. New year, new decade, can we not use the office gifs or gifs anymore it just seems so played out and i do at a certain extent it feels like you need to find a new way to communicate you need to express being exasperated or angry or lonely or confused in a way that was maybe perhaps not already expressed by michael scott or dwight schrute or what have you i don't know if it's just me but and not just in minor league baseball, but don't these appear to be some of the most overused images on the internet at yeah, this at this yeah. juncture? You know, it almost reminds me of how if anybody makes a reference to anything in the modern day, and it eventually always bends towards Harry Potter. Yeah. And then there's a facet of the internet that just yells, 
read another book. It's kind of like watch another sitcom with The Office. And I think that's a perfect storm of The Office ended just as Netflix got big. And then everybody who missed it the first time was able to pick it up with Netflix and rewatch it. And over and over and over, Meyer League is a business that involves itself in a lot of travel. So a lot of players and a lot of teams are watching it on buses and things of that nature. So it is a bit of a perfect storm. But other GIFs are available. Can I give you my hot take on The Office? Go for it. Please for, share. Let's start for, the new year off. You crazy. know, I've watched it a million times like everybody else. By like the millionth rewatch, uh, Jim and Pam are annoying. Yeah, I'd agree they with get, you. They get very – their love story gets very irritating. It is Maybe it's just because I'm jaded and 34 and single. But uh, it, it gets – they get very – it's so not real. And every human being, I'm just a Jim looking from a Pam. Just a Pam looking for, you're not going to find it. It doesn't exist. <laughs> it's very, very irritating by the end. At least like Michael and Holly, like they have like an awkward, weird, uncomfortable interaction when they first get to know each other and all that. Jim and Pam's like, everything's so perfect. Get out of here with that. <laughs> so just a reminder, no love in Tyler's uh, Twitter handle is at Tyler Mon. Yeah, ladies. All your- in case you're interested. Wow. Um, let's move on from that, please. No, I think it would be great if some team wanted to challenge itself to not use a single office GIF uh, for the entirety of 2020. I think that is a it's a very valid resolution that I think you could. It's a great show. It is obviously a tremendous show. I also uh, was just earlier today listening to a couple of episodes of the Office Ladies podcast in which Jenna Fisher is fantastic. And uh, Angela, who is the co-host, I think just repeats 99% of what Jenna Fisher says throughout the show. But it's a very entertaining show. Uh, the, the sitcom itself was fantastic. But yeah, we can all move on. It's okay. There have been other good shows on television ever since then. I'm, I'm Absolutely. with you. I'm with and you. And once you cut one thing off from your life, it leaves that much more room yeah. for something. There's a very interesting story uh, in Visalia, which <laughs> includes uh, a new own, a co-owner of the Visalia Rawhide uh, as the header photo in Sam's story or in Ben's story. And then uh, a photo from eight years earlier in which the same man is dressed as a hot dog at the Trenton train station, picking Ben up from the train station. Walk us through this one, because this is a great story that's up on the site right now. Yeah, this is actually one. Uh, t- it took. It, it comes from a, an interview I did during the winter meetings, but I had enough uh, material there to kind of put this on the back burner and uh, filed it before the holidays, and then it ran on January second, uh, the first day of uh, you know post holidays uh, for a lot of people. But regardless, um, Sam Siegel, that's uh, S I G A L, uh, is a guy who's been in the minor league baseball world for uh, the better part of eight years. Um, beginning uh, with the Trenton Thunder as an intern. Uh, he was with the, an announcer for the Tri-City Valley Cats for a number of years, uh, spent some time with the Staten Island Yankees, spent some time with the Hickory Crawdads, and um, you know mostly in media relations and broadcasting. And I met Sam in 2012, um, you know, which is a long time ago on some level, but on another level, I mean, what is time? But... You know, eight years ago, not not a tremendously long ago. You know, Sam was in his twenties then, and he's in his twenties now. Um, he was an intern for the Trenton Thunder. I was visiting the team, uh, traveling to Trenton from New York City. I just took the train, and the team said, "Oh, you know, don't worry about getting to the ballpark from there. We'll send someone to pick you up." And waiting outside the train station in the rain 
was Sam Siegel, an intern for the Thunder, uh, wearing a hot dog suit. And, uh, <laughs> you know, for the purposes of our website, the way the photos oriented, I had to edit the photo. But he's actually in this photo, if you could see it. Uh, holding a, a piece of paper, you know, like a uh, limo driver at an airport that says, you know, Ben Hill. <laughs> and so, you know, I meet a lot of people on the road and um, I, I remember almost everyone, even if it takes me a moment or two upon meeting them again, the kind of place where that was. But I always remembered Sam because of that very memorable introduction. He will always be in my mind. Oh, that's the guy who picked me up at the train station while dressed as a hot dog. So we've crossed paths a number of times since then. Um and then it was really interesting to me uh, last month to get a press release in my inbox. I had known that the Visalia Rawhide were uh, for sale, and I, I know that they were going to be under new ownership. And then it comes out that the new owners of the Visalia Rawhide uh, are the Siegel family. And the man on the ground with the Rawhide as uh, the new owner and the face of the franchise, as it were, is this very same hot dog who eight years later is no longer an intern uh, picking one up at the train station. He is the owner, along with his parents, uh, Elliot and Ruth, of the Visalia Rawhide. And I, uh, he actually ran into me at the winter meeting. He was like, hey, Ben, how you doing? Long time no see. And I was like, hey, man, let's do an interview. Because, uh, <laughs> I don't know anyone who's gone uh, this kind of career trajectory, um, you know. And there were some of these comments on, you know, Facebook. You always get the cynical types, and I get it. Like, oh, big story, you know, a guy whose you know parents were rich enough to buy a minor league baseball team. I mean, yes, he obviously, with his family, you know, had some resources that aren't available to anyone. But this is, I still think, really cool, and that this is the industry he works in. They had the means and resources, and now he's able to. You know, engage on the ground in a whole new way after following this career through the entirety of his professional life so far uh, to now be an owner uh, at a pretty young age. And, um, you know, I think a really interesting journey, no matter how you get to that point uh, of moving to an entirely new location, you know, a small town and or small city in the in, in a place like Visalia, getting to know the community and being, um, you know, the, a public figure all of a sudden and joining, you know, the Rotary Clubs and the, the community organizations and uh, being the man on the ground, you know, he will be at every single game. So I just wanted to talk to him about how this came about, how they, uh, you know, decided to purchase a team, how it became the Rawhide of, you know, Visalia Rawhide of all teams, and, uh, you know, what he plans to do moving forward. And I just thought it was an interesting minor league baseball story, and I'd appreciate it if you check it out uh, at MILB.com, the official website of minor league baseball. And one thing I appreciate about this is, you know, you mentioned about, yeah, you have to have a certain level of resources and whatever, but if any of us were to be a fan of a minor league team and find out we have that team has new owners, wouldn't you want it to be somebody who understands yes. minor league yeah. baseball at every yeah. level of this? Yeah, play? yeah, and 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 you could, as a fan, you could have your experience very much hurt by absentee owners, you know, ones who are trying to maximize profits but without putting much into the team. And I think this, you know, instead of being negative, and I don't think most people are being negative, but you could say this is someone who's been you know on the ground in this industry from the time he was able to be on the ground in this industry who was never above such things as picking up um you know marginally well-known uh, niche writers from the train station while dressed as a hot dog so you want someone who's been in the trenches who's done these things who's shown a passion for the industry who's worked for the likes of the tri-city valley cats and the hickory crawdads and who understands what it is and i think that's what you know is interesting about this um you know, his parents came to love minor league baseball through him. And he said, they're not sports fans. 
but they really were impressed by the places they got to visit through his through Sam's career and uh, learning about it and realizing the sense of community and uh, you know what a key gathering point it is for the community and I think that's one of the reasons Visalia appealed it's a smaller city and you know you go to a Visalia Rawhide game you're gonna see people who know each other all over the ballpark and it has that small community feel and it's a really endearing thing and it's not something to be taken for granted um, at any point in American history and I think certainly now when people are more isolated and um, you know disconnected through being connected if that makes sense and not to go on a tangent but I think it's really important uh, to to have people the stewards of these teams be people who understand the business and who are willing to be there and willing to invest in it uh, both with money but also with their time and energy and I think you're going to get that in Visalia and it's going to be an interesting uh, journey to follow. And it, this story ends with one of my favorite kickers in uh, MILB.com history, at least as long as I've been here, which is this sentence, you're never above a hot dog suit. Absolutely. Yeah. Sam told me that uh, during our interview. And um, I think that speaks to a, a something, an idea that's prevalent throughout the industry. When you do see general managers, managers, team presidents, vice presidents, whatever, uh, doing these goofy things, still taking part in the stunts, uh, even if they're not wearing a hot dog suit, you know, you cannot uh, be arrogant or above it in this industry. You're still going to be, you know, all the cliches, pulling the tarp, uh, pouring beer, picking up trash. It's just that kind of business. And uh, I think that's why people who work in it kind of love it because you can be doing any number of things at any moment. It's not very compartmentalized. And that goes all the way up to and including the owners. Ben, there is also uh, a continuation of the making of a promo series, which is coming up on the site. We're recording today, uh, Wednesday the 8th. That'll be up uh, when you hear this on Thursday the 9th. Give us a rundown. Yeah, um, this is a series I did last year following the uh, – last year I did this with the Charleston River Dogs fo- following uh, the development of one promotion throughout the offseason. Uh, this year expanded the concept a little, uh, working with the Jacksonville Jumbo Shrimp and uh, specifically director of promotions David Ratz. Uh, over the course of an offseason doing a series of articles every couple months just detailing the evolution of the promo schedule. So we talked about the first installment back in October and now that uh, we've hit the new year and uh, you know hitting the ground running now here is uh, part two which is appearing on the site the same day as this uh, podcast is dropping on Thursday. Um, so it's just kind of checking in with uh, with David Ratz the promotions director uh, about uh, okay we talked a few months ago where are you now? Um, in this process and he's talking about how you know 60 of the 70 nights they have at least something planned but how you, you want to do at least two promotions for every single night you know one will probably be like a weekly recurring thing a two for tuesday ticket special type of thing but then you always want something unique and standalone how do you come up with that those ideas you know via staff meetings brainstorming sessions you know how do you get the sales team involved because they're the ones who are going to be selling these um you know to, to potential ticket buyers and groups and sponsors and that sort of thing um you know where do these ideas come about uh, how do you commit to them you know where are you in the process in january what work still needs to be done um you know and so on and so forth so this is kind of checking back it's a little bit of an awkward time to do a story like this just because you know teams they're not going to release their promotion schedule with all the details until march so there's some stuff that's kind of close to the vest or that cannot be revealed but i do think if you're interested in this business in this industry um it is a good kind of peek behind the curtain to to get a sense of you know if you're a fan and you go to a game and there's this theme night there's this theme jersey there's this giveaway item there's x y and z you know what is the process throughout the off season that results in all these happen all these things happening over 70 home games between april and early september 
Good stuff, as always, from Ben, which is up on the site at MILB.com. You can follow him on the social medias at uh, Ben's Biz on Twitter and at TheBen'sBiz on Instagram. And uh, looking forward to checking out more as we get closer and closer to the season. Ben, thanks. Hey, thank you very much. And uh, as we were talking about The Office earlier, I just want to just put it out there that I, I've never seen The Sopranos before, but I'm watching it right now. And uh, I only have one episode left to go in season one, so i got a long way to go. But if anyone wants to talk about Sopranos, no spoilers, uh, hit me up at Ben's Biz because it's on my mind right now in a way that it might have been in your mind 20 years ago or so. But uh, <laughs> it's an awesome show. It's really exciting. Talk to me about it. Uh, i got some questions. I, too, have never watched it, and I feel like I should now. Ooh, let's start a club. Start I, a club. I haven't either. Okay. So. Yeah, let's do really? it. Yeah, so. Okay, let's all do this. We'll okay, save that for our other podcast. We'll do <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. First time Sopranos watchers. we got to think of a catchier title. <laughs> the Hitmen? No. <laughs> <laughs> it would work. We work in baseball. Uh, thanks, Ben. Thank you, Tyler. And thank you, Sam, sitting to my right in the Frank Robinson conference room. Final segment of this week's episode of the show before the show, MILB.com, uh, is where you can find all the stuff that we discussed with Benjamin Hill as well as Sam's stories, uh, the New Year's resolutions and prospect projections and all of that. And also, uh, this year, over 90 teams will vie for the Copa de la Diversión Cup in 2020, each with an identity as unique and impactful as its area's Hispanic community. Follow Minor League Baseball on social at MILB and visit the Copa website at MILB.com slash fan slash Copa to find out more about the initiative newest members and colorful vibrant identities in 2020 um i guess that's all happy new year sam happy new year tyler well welcome to 2020 yeah what how huh i'm just this, glad this that really we're, feels like the future yeah i'm uh i'm glad that we're in a decade where we have an easy name for it you know what i mean the first thing <laughs> was like what do we call that the aughts last one was the teens except three years in that we're not teens uh now we're in the 20s everything's easy Everything's e- easy. Everybody's wearing flapper uh, dresses. It's great. It's fantastic. Yeah, it's wonderful. <laughs> He's Sam. I'm Tyler. We'll talk to you next week.